0: Well, let's um, pray together before we uh, turn to his word. Father, you are sovereign, uh, you are good. And when we mix those two beautiful attributes together, we know you're not going to say anything to us that's not for our good and for our benefit individually, as families and as a church. So now, as we come to these words that have been read uh, for us already and that we're going to study, we pray that you'll help us to think the way you intended us to think and to respond the way we ought. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, please open at um, Matthew 10 and verse 32. Of course, I'm sure as you perhaps have read these uh, words in preparation for today, or if you just heard them for the first time this morning, you're saying, wow, wow. These are hard words from Jesus. How can we make sense of them? And, of course, on first appearance, yes, they appear to be hard words. But let me encourage you that when we think about them properly, when we understand them in their context, and when we seek the help of the Holy Spirit, I don't think they're that hard at all. In fact, they are for our good and for our benefit. And I think Jesus is basically saying two things to us. The first thing is this, loyal to me is costly, loyalty to me is worth it. And I suppose if that's all you can remember from today, then remember that. Loyalty to me, says Jesus, is costly, loyalty to me is worth it. All the time. Now if you were here last week, you will remember, I hope, there were three commands, warnings to us. Don't be intimidated, says Jesus. There are wolves out there that want to eat you alive, but be wise as snakes and innocent as doves. Don't be worried about what you have to say, says Jesus. I I actually will help you speak, and the Holy Spirit will inspire you about sharing the good news of Jesus. So don't be worried, and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of anybody. What man can do to you, remember he who is Total control over you and total sovereignty over you. So we're moving from kind of warnings, I suppose, to a charge. A charge, okay, because we need this charge. Because I don't know about you, but I know my own heart. (laughs) We tend to be people who are inclined not to be wise as serpents. We, We tend to be people who are not inclined to be innocent like doves. By nature, we're inclined to ask questions like, why on earth would I take the risk of speaking up for Jesus in the place that I work? Why would I take the risk of speaking out for Jesus among my friendship circle when all I'm going to get is an avalanche of of negativity? Why would I do that? Don't I have enough problems in my own life at the minute? Looking after my family, looking after uh, my work. Why would I add on another responsibility of having to speak out among wolves? Is it worth the risk? Is the cost worth it? I want to be loyal to Jesus, but boy, this is a big ask. You see why we need the charge? Am I willing to be known as a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ? Am I willing to be known like that? Publicly, outwardly, verbally, so that with my life and with my lips, people know I follow Jesus. I love Jesus. Loyalty to me is costly, says Jesus. But loyalty to me is worth it all the time. We have quite a few verses to get through, so let's uh, get straight into it. The first thing I suppose we might say is this public confession in verse 32 and 33. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Now, there are two parts to this, as you might See there immediately, there's the whoever acknowledges me part. Do we identify with Jesus? Do we say I am a follower of Jesus? Do we? The second part is, do we do it before men? Because we could say, we could acknowledge Jesus in the, in the secrecy of our own hearts and minds. We could do it within our own family. We could do it within the church. But we, do we do it publicly before men? That's the two parts. The first one's a lot easier than the the second. But we need both. Are we known as followers of Jesus Christ? Because we live and we work and we play among lost people. Some, at least Jesus describes as wolves, who will try and devour us. And we've got to acknowledge that not all will like what we say or want what we say. So Jesus openly, honestly tells us that we need to be clear and confident in our showing, our sharing, that we are his disciples. Whoever acknowledges me before men, the temptation, of course, is to to hide away, keep our discipleship a secret. So we don't get any verbal or any emotional opposition. Very easy to do that. The temptation is to fit into whatever situation we find ourselves in. So when we are with believers, oh, we can acknowledge Jesus. But when we're with unbelievers, we kind of tone it down, keep it safe, don't take any risks. The temptation is to distance ourselves from Jesus when the context is hard. We all know this, don't we? Come on, let's be honest. I am tempted at times when I go into aggressively attacking situations to actually, wow. So the obvious application is to hide away, never speak up for Jesus, never speak out for Jesus, never invite that person we say we love to Christianity explore, for instance, or to a church service, or to a mission, or to study the Bible one-to-one. We can disown Jesus in that particular way. It's very easy to do. We can disown him in that way. But I think less obvious, less obvious, that's why I put or, is to simply publicly distance ourselves from his moral commands, for instance. Give me give you an example. You're in company, maybe out uh, for coffee with somebody, or maybe it's in the um, it's the tea break in the office or wherever it happens to be, and the discussion starts about moral issues. See, abortion, for instance, or maybe it may be the legalisation of soft drugs, or euthanasia, or gay marriage. You know the kind of things that come up in conversation. What do we do? What do we say? It's so easy to remain silent, to disown his standards, to overlook what is clearly sin. In other words, we disown his words, his ethical standards, his biblical worldview. So there's two ways of doing this. We can just hide away and pretend. Hopefully nobody answers any questions. Or we actually, when we get into the situation where a discussion is happening, we simply do not stand up for Jesus and what he has to say. Those are the two ways that we can disown the name of Jesus. And Jesus says, you know what, my people, my disciples? I, I, I want to make it very clear to you. I want you to acknowledge me before men. I want you to acknowledge me before people. And that includes my work on the cross and my words in scripture. Those are two things we should never ever disown. And you see what happens when we do that? When we actually acknowledge him before people? Well, the end of verse 32. He's basically saying here on the day of judgment, I will also acknowledge him or her before my father in heaven. On the day of judgment, he will acknowledge us if we have acknowledged him. And you know, on that day, can you imagine the scene where Jesus will say, Ah, yes, I know him. I know her. He, she, they're one of mine. Good and faithful servant, welcome into your reward. That's what he will say. That's what he will say. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But, verse 33 is also there. Whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Oh, um, we would probably wish that verse 33 wasn't stated so bluntly now, don't we? Couldn't he have softened it a wee bit just? Like, for instance, could he have said, whoever disowns me before men, I will ignore him before my Father in heaven. Or whoever disowns me before men, I will forget before my Father in heaven. Or whoever disowns me before men, I will overlook before my Father in heaven. It would be nicer if it was that, wouldn't it? Easier. Easier. That. but listen to what he says whoever disowns me before men I will disown him before my father in heaven I never knew you away from me you evildoers do you remember that from Matthew seven twenty-three? on the judgment day I know him I know her or I don't know him. I don't know her. Now, we need balance here, of course. Jesus is not demanding perfection because we cannot be perfect. Um, He knows we will fail. And every single one of us, it doesn't matter how mature we are, I'm sure we've said to ourselves, ah, ah, I missed that opportunity. I had an opportunity to speak into that situation and I missed it. Or we've said... Why didn't I say something? Or why didn't I say something more? The opportunity was there, and we, we bottled it. We've all said that. So Jesus is not necessarily demanding perfection, but I think what he is saying is if we continually, persistently disown or deny Jesus, there will be consequences. We can't go through our whole, our whole lives simply disowning him. If we disown him, the cost will be high. It's a serious word, isn't it? It's a hard word, but it's a hard word for our eternal benefits because it would be wrong for us to go through life thinking, oh, I can be a secret disciple, I can be a secret follower of Jesus, I will not really speak up or speak out for him. And guess what? On that last day, we discover we have failed miserably and we will be held to account. I think this is a tremendous incentive, motivation for us to acknowledge him before man, isn't it? Our hearts should be, should be responding, saying, you know what, Jesus, I am going to stand up for you. I am going to speak out for you. Yesterday at um, the conference, the Kevin DeYoung conference, the men who were up, I think we heard a lot about courage and boldness. That's what I need, that's what you need, that's what we need. In these days when we're, just, we're tempted just to, just to full, pull in on ourselves, keep our heads down, don't take a risk. And Jesus says, my disciples will acknowledge me, and therefore I will acknowledge them. Public confession, the second area is radical uh, consequences. We might call those 34 to, to 36 Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth, I did not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. These verses shock many people and surprise them. Uh, particularly verse 34, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Isn't Jesus the Prince of Peace, we ask? That's how he's described in Scripture. On the night he was born, didn't the angels sing glory to God in the highest and on earth? Peace to men on whom his favor rests. I mean, how can he say that I did not come to bring peace to the earth but a sword? How can he say that? Is this another one of these contradictions, so-called contradictions, that are supposed to be in the Bible? Well, no. No, it's not. The key word there is suppose. That's, I think, our understanding. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. And I think he's saying to us, you need to understand what my peace actually looks like. And you've got to understand when I give you peace... How it will be interpreted by other people. So he's trying to correct misunderstanding and misinformation, and uh, he uses here a kind of a, a Hebrew form of argument um, um, called a mashal. It's a, where, where he's aiming to provoke us, to shock us, almost into thinking. It's a brilliant form of, of thinking. We often do that. We exaggerate a point to get somebody to to think and to react. So let's sum up about his piece. His piece is real. Yes. His peace is now in the hearts of the saved. Yes. His peace is coming in the future in beautiful ways in the new heaven and the new earth. But Jesus is not talking about any of those forms of peace. What he's saying is this. When I bring peace to you in salvation, you will be a target of the evil one. When I give you peace and salvation, you can be sure that the world and the devil, as well as the flesh, will be hostile to you. I can't give you that peace in that kind of context. I give you peace in your hearts and salvation. I suppose we could put it like this. If you thought that Jesus would bring peace to every relationship you have when he saved you, you were wrong. If you were told that Jesus would bring peace to every relationship you have. If you were told that when he saved you, then you're wrong. They were wrong. The world and the people in the world will react. They will fight back. They will show hostility. Hostility. And maybe, would you believe it, in all places, it can happen in the home or in the family. And it's extremely painful. I know some of your situations, and I know how painful it is, when people in your home and family treat you badly because you love Jesus. In some situations, family can turn against you. Not always, but some. Jesus is simply warning you, this may happen. Now, I know it's an extreme example, but in the Orthodox Jewish world, if someone is converted to Jesus Christ, do you know what they do? They hold a funeral. Because as far as they're concerned, you're dead. You've died. When you follow Jesus, you're dead. Even though you're alive, they still hold your funeral. "'For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household.'" It sounds hard, but let me tell you this. Jesus is simply warning you, if you love and follow him, the cost can be high, but the cost is always worth it. The cost may be high, but the cost will always be worth it. Now, some of you have mentioned that at family gatherings, it can be rather difficult. And I'm, I'm using, I'm not going to use mention names, obviously, but I'm using situations that I've heard over the years if certain issues are discussed, there can be a tension, even disagreement. And the thing that I've noticed, again, listening to you, and even seeing it with my own eyes and hearing it with my own ears, the only opinion, the only opinion that is not acceptable in today's society, even within our families, is the Christian opinion. Isn't that right? The gospel opinion is the only one that we're not supposed to speak, and the world says, "Get in the corner, stay in your corner, don't speak." And Jesus says, "No, no. Loyalty to me is costly, but loyalty to me is worth it. Might be the use of money, or how do you discipline children, or, or view of politics, or." Kind of movies we should or shouldn 't watch the kind of books we should or should not read, or or the relationship between science and 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 and, 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 and faith all these kinds of issues here here 's what we 've got to remember: unbelievers, even within our own family, have core beliefs, just like we have core beliefs, they have core beliefs on most subjects, and if we get close to people who disagree with what the bible says there can be conflict, or even worse. And so we're described as extremists, or crazy, or dangerous, or what we say is unacceptable. The world can say whatever it likes, but we cannot say what we believe. So can you see why Jesus speaks as he does in verses 34 and 35? And 36 Sword, not peace. Yeah. If you follow me, a man may turn against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Yeah, it's it's painful. I know it is. For some of you, it's extremely painful. But there is good news, you know. Do you want to hear the good news? This has all been very... There's more good news at the end, by the way. But here, I want to give you some really good news here. I think I've got it, yeah. Jesus redefines family. We are family. That's why the church is so important. That's why I urge you tonight, if you can come, come and hear about the glory of, of Christ's church. What we're supposed to be to each other. What we can be. Do you remember in Mark 3... Um, Jesus was talking to his followers and somebody came and said, hey, your mother and your family, your brothers are outside. You know what he said? As he looked around, he says, here, here. Here are my mother and my brothers. This is what he says. Whoever does God's will, whoever does God's will is my brother, my sister, my mother, So what does this all mean? Well, this is where I suppose the rubber hits the road. We have to apply this. Our family or our friends should not set the agenda of our faith. And so often, let's be honest, they do. They do. Jesus sets the agenda of our faith. I'll give you examples. Children or teenagers should not determine whether a family attends evening service or not. That should not happen. A spouse should not determine if you tithe or not, if you believe that to be a biblical principle as I do. A family should, should not control your commitment and your following after Jesus Christ as your Savior. We can give example after example. Jesus, you see, sets the agenda for our faith, not our family, not our friends, not the world. All our relationships are determined by our relationship to Jesus. It is him. Not the other way around. He is number one. And in fact, if we really do want to love our children, if we really do want to love our family, the best way to do that is to love Jesus as number one. If any other relationship takes that priority place in our lives we will struggle we might think oh i'm trying to keep the peace i'm trying to win them over you'll not jesus is number one he makes it pretty clear now of course if we have been sinful or stupid or selfish and have caused tension in our family we should repent of that and we should reconcile Another thing, of course, we've got to acknowledge, there's so much we like to say um, about these verses. Jesus is not, I say not, saying we don't care about our families. He's not saying that we should abandon our families. No, never. But he is saying certain things. That if you follow Jesus, maybe you will have opposition even within your family. He is saying the peace I bring to you in salvation doesn't mean that people will not uh, oppose you. And he's saying that if people oppose you, even family oppose you, it's not a sign of failure, but actually it's a sign of success, a sign of obedience, a sign of faithfulness. The third thing is um, a loyal commitment. Verses 37 to 39. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his um, cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Again, Jesus develops this point. He's not saying, verse 37 there, that we don't love our family or parents or our children. But he is saying, if you, um, if you love them, you don't love them more than me. He has to have the priority of our love. Now, some people in our families will will be scared by this, and there's no need to be scared about this. This is just plain teaching. He, He has to have our hearts, number one. To have him at all, he must be number one. But, of course, if we love him more, then we'll also learn to love them more because he changes the way we think. The order, therefore, is crucial. We love him, and then we love others. And verse 38, um, and we've got to move through these pretty, pretty quickly, he talks about the cross. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Do you know for Jesus, of course, this became real, didn't he? He had to carry his cross and die on it. For many of the disciples, uh, it uh, meant that they also had to die. And for us, it will mean death. Probably not physical death. Probably not physical death, but certainly dying to self. Dying to self. Dying to the cravings of the sinful man. Dying to the lust of our eyes. Dying to the boasting about what we have or do, as John tells us. But of course, I think if we're being honest here, and we we should be, we, we, we want to have our cake and eat it, don't we? You know that expression? We want a cake and eat it. We want the world, and we want to be comfortable in the world, but we also want Jesus at the same time. True salvation is altogether different as Jesus. We're no longer in control. He is. We are dead to self because he is Lord. We've been bought at a price, and so we are a living sacrifice to him. You see, a gospel without the cross is, of course, wrong. A gospel without the cross comes from the pits of hell. A gospel without the cross is counterfeit. A gospel without the cross means we delude ourselves and we delude others. Jesus had to die on his cross, and we have to die on our cross. Die to self. Die to our traditions die to rituals, die to the world. And the temptation, I know, for for those of us of all ages, but particularly, I suppose, the the younger among us, is the temptation is to be cool and, and with it, to be trendy Christians, that accept all things, even sin, yes. To accept that the cross does not necessarily need to be central to what we believe. To accept that self can be Number one, that's the temptation, to be cool and with it and trendy. But it's not real. Jesus is very clear. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. In verse 39, um, he deals with something that's very... Uh, uh, trendy today a contemporary issue whoever finds his life will lose it and who, whoever loses his life for, for my sake will will find it do you know do you ever hear the expression you have to find yourself you know you know back in the 60s you know people went around f- to try and find themselves so the two expressions we hear in the world still today I, I i want to find myself and i want to express myself that's popular and that's extremely dangerous the gospel is not about you finding self The gospel is about Jesus finding you. (laughs) And if we look for life outside of Jesus Christ, you lose everything. Verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So you lose your life. In other words, deny self, take up your cross for Jesus. You will find life, says Jesus. But if you don't do it that way, you will not. You're not really alive. And what you have will be taken from you so today, with so many people talking about self-esteem, it's not self-esteem we need, it's God-esteem. That's the gospel. It's hard, isn't it, to hear that? But actually, it's for good. Because Jesus is telling us exactly what he expects. Find life in Jesus. That's loyal commitment. Lastly, and just for a moment or two, time's marching on. Unspeakable rewards, 40 to 42. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he's my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. Yes, in, in this text we have had warnings. Yes, expectations, certainly, encouragements, absolutely. We've got real encouragements here. Verse 40 is saying, some will receive you. It's not all doom and gloom. Some will receive your message. And when they receive you and your message, they're receiving Jesus, he says. We have tremendous power, haven't we? We have tremendous influence because we are children of the king and people will respond. They will. That's Wonderful, and even on Thursday night at Christianity Explored, we saw some blessing. We'll see what happens in the weeks and months that lie ahead, but we've seen people blessed, and we trust saved. But we're agents of God, we are ambassadors, and he showers his reward on every person who receives us, because we are his people. Even if we take a little simple thing like a cup of cold water and give it to someone... Jesus' point is that any service done to any disciple will be rewarded. The simplest help given to the simplest of disciples will not go unnoticed by God or unrewarded by God. Listen, we are so special to God and we're so identified with God that if someone does you good, they will be rewarded. They will be rewarded. And I don't think, by the way, that this is here... To encourage those to do these good things, actually, I think this is here to um, to tell us not to give up. I think the point is not directed at those who show the kindness, but it's directed at us, so that we do not give up. That we realise that loyalty to Jesus is costly, and yes, the loyalty to Jesus is worth it. Of course. People may reject us, oppose us, hate us, even maybe kill us. But for those who show us kindness as they receive what we teach, they will be blessed as we will be. Hard words. But as we conclude, and the conclusion is very short, why should we listen to these hard words? Why should we obey them? Why should we take them under our notice at all? Because of the person who's speaking, because this is Jesus speaking, these are his words. He loves us, and he's worthy of trust. And he says to you, to us, my way is the best way. My way is the only way. Loyalty to me costs, yes, but loyalty to me is worth it. May we go out and show that loyalty to him in how we live, how we conduct our relationships. And may we enjoy him forever. Let's pray together. Father, we have um, heard your words to our human ears. They are hard, but they come from a gracious Savior who loves us and wants what's best for us. Will you write these words and principles on our hearts and minds so that you are honored and glorified? We ask for this.